Hey, hey, friends. This is Jessie DeShane, a chronic illness support coach and host over here on the Chronically Healing Podcast. When I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, I was scared and immediately started looking for support. After finding so much negativity in the autoimmune world, I decided to start a community that emphasizes positivity and healing. On this show, you will hear me have conversations with people just like you who are on their own unique healing journey with chronic illness. There might be a few tears, but you are guaranteed to have a bunch of laughs and lots and lots of love and support. Let's dive into the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have Stefan Wiener on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Thanks so much. I'm really excited to be here. Of course, of course. So I want to jump right in. And can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, anything you'd like to tell us about your story? So uh, as you said, my name is Stefan, and um, I'm a musician. Uh, I uh, sing, I play guitar, I play bunch of other instruments, uh, a songwriter and a uh, performer. Uh, do you want me to talk about my, my medical story yet or should I yeah. dive right in? Yeah, you can dive right in, whatever you'd like. Okay, so um, it started uh, back in 2013. Uh, I developed tendinitis in my right forearm and um, it's a very common injury for guitarists, but uh, you know, I took a break from guitar and I stretched, did stretching, did exercises, and it just wouldn't go away. And then I start going to physical therapists, after physical therapists, all these different types of doctors, and nobody can figure it out. And then eventually, I get an MRI, and there's no tendonitis hmm. present. They can't see anything. Mm-hmm. And by that point, it's actually moved over to my left arm too, because I was kind of overcompensating. Then right around that time, um, I had to get my tonsils out because I was getting strip throat all the time. And, you know, after it looked like the, the, the scar tissue had formed, everything had healed, um, the pain in my throat never went away. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, they're doing ultrasounds, they're doing MRIs, x-rays, whatever. Uh, inflammatory blood tests, this, that, and the other thing. And uh, there's nothing to see, you know, like all my inflammatory markers are low. Um, there's no infection. My white, blo- my white blood cell count is normal. Everything seems fine, but I'm like suffering every day. Um, and then a year after that, um, I actually developed a, a testicular infection Oh my and, god! And the only way—it's called a hydrocele, and the only way to fix it is actually surgically. Ooh. They have to like go in and—I mean, it, it basically leaves a—it creates a permanent change in the tissue down there, so they have to surgically fix it. Oh my gosh! Um, and that left me with a chronic scrotal itch. Oh my god! <laughs> and again, you know dermatologist, urologist, nobody knows what's wrong. It looks totally normal. Just yet another mystery. And my, I injured my back and my knee. And yeah, just like one thing after the next. And nothing, nothing feels like it's healed, but everybody is telling me that it has. Mm. So I'm in this total state of confusion. And yeah, 
re- uh, feeling a lot of doubt in you know my sanity. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, like I'm going to psychologists and I'm really trying to rule everything out. Um, so you know they these psychologists said you know this isn't psychosomatic, this isn't psychogenic. This like there there's no reason for you to be having there's no psychological reason for you to be having this experience. Um, and finally, you know, four years after this started, I ended up going to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, mm-hmm. not too far away from Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> um, and finally got a diagnosis with this uh, central neurological condition called central sensitization syndrome, mm-hmm. which is a relatively new uh, diagnosis. Um, it sort of, you know, cobbles together a bunch of different symptoms under one umbrella, but it's it's like the last diagnosis they can make after you rule out literally everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I went to like 20 different kinds of specialists and nobody knew what was going on. Yeah. I was a case, I was a case study among oh my God. <laughs> uh, like the, the top ENTs at the universities in the city. Like, yeah, literally nobody in New York could figure this out, but I finally got this diagnosis at the Mayo clinic. Um, it's essentially like a phantom pain. Uh, condition where your brain can hardwire sensation mm-hmm. um, and it keeps on perpetuating that sensation even if the body has healed itself. So it totally um, justified everything I was feeling, but that nobody was seeing. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. So like, like, completely invisible illness like seriously Mm -hmm. you're just constantly having how old were you when you when this all started 22 okay and then I was 26 when I got the diagnosis basically you know uh I mean I learned a lot about this diagnosis while I was there um Mm uh and you know they'll do uh fMRIs like functional MRIs on uh people that have this condition and their brains will fire as if they have that injury. Like it, it lights up um, almost in a more severe way than it would uh, in a normal person in the area of the brain that controls that part of the body. Oh my so it, it's, it's literally the same. I mean, your brain creates, obviously your brain creates all the sensation that you feel. So yeah. regardless of what is actually going on in your body, your brain can send the wrong message which is kind of terrifying (laughs) because you want to trust that your brain is uh you know giving you a true sense of reality Mm. but sometimes that's not the case yeah yeah and to be like like your body is physically healed but your brain just is like nope we're not we're not going to believe that truth so Mm. you're just constantly having to deal with these things that technically aren't even happening anymore. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, I mean, none of the conventional treatments will work because there's nothing to heal. It's already, it's already done, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So what do you, what, what, once you got your diagnosis, what could you do moving forward? Was there any like medication you could take or anything that you could take that would help with this? Or is it kind of something you've had to learn how to live with? Well, so there is no medication. Um, they actually uh, discourage people with this condition from being on any meds 
besides ones that just, you know, for normal body function, yeah. uh, but no, no pain medication. And the only, the only real treatment for this is multidisciplinary pain rehabilitation. Mm. Um, and there aren't that many programs like that around the country, but one of them is- Yeah, what is, I don't even know what that is, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, it's- It's um, a lot of words. (laughs) Yes, I know. A lot of long, many syllable words. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Multidisciplinary pain rehabilitation programs. Um, (laughs) Basically, they use, um, they pretty much every treatment you can think of besides medicinal treatments to- um, deal with pain symptoms. So everything from, uh, mindfulness techniques to cognitive behavioral therapy, biofeedback, physical therapy, occupational therapy, group therapy. Um, it even gets into like, uh, career therapy and, uh, like spiritual counseling. If that's something that you want to seek out, it's, it's literally like, it's so comprehensive. It couldn't be more comprehensive. Yeah, <laughs> of course. It's um, not easy. Mm-hmm. And then, and so I ended up going to the program that's offered at the Mayo Clinic um, um, about a month after I got my diagnostics. And um, yeah, it was incredible. <laughs> um, it was super grueling. It's eight hours a day for three and a half weeks. It's, oh out, it's outpatient. So you stay, I stayed in an Airbnb um, offsite. Uh, but I was there, you know, every day, um, learning about the condition, but also talking with all these other people that have it, um, about what it's like to live with these symptoms forever and for people to not know how to support you and for doctors to disbelieve you, you know, I mean, a lot of it, it's about camaraderie and it's about, you know, uh, thinking of yourself as normal again, even though you're not. Yeah. Um, uh, and then one of the most important parts is getting you back to all the activities that you've avoided for so long. Mm. People, you know, had been dealing with their sickness for decades. Um, so, I mean, it's it's challenging. For me, it was just four years, but for other people much, much longer. Yeah. Uh, They try to get you to avoid what they call pain behaviors, Mm -hmm. which can be anything from like uh, wincing when you feel a symptom or rubbing or massaging or stretching Mm. or or even taking over-the-counter medications. That can be a pain behavior that um, unwittingly reinforces the the uh, false neural pathways in the brain. Mm. So every you have to time ignore it. You, re- you have to ignore it. You have to um, basically push your way through it. Mm. Um, and diaphragmatic breathing becomes like the, the most important, like new quote unquote medication. Wow. Um, and I don't know how familiar you are with diaphragmatic breathing, but it's basically just belly breathing. It's the way that we most naturally breathe, the way that you breathe when you're lying on your back. Um, And yeah, it's pretty remarkable that just 
finding peace and calm can truly reduce your symptoms. Um, and basically you have to challenge the sensation you're feeling by resuming all these things that you've avoided and you do it in this super stepwise gradual way where for me, you know, playing guitar, I started playing guitar five minutes a day and I added a minute every day, uh, not only while I was at the program, but then ongoing and I worked my way up to an hour and a half. Wow. And you have to do it regardless of whether you're in pain or not, because the whole idea is you have to tell your brain by doing this activity that this there, there, there's nothing to be afraid of and there's nothing to shy away from because the pain isn't real. So mm -hmm. you create new neural pathways by, um, you know, doing these things that you've avoided for so long. That is so interesting. So do you like, does the pain only come from previous injuries or can it be from anything really? I mean, it can be t like purely fictional, if you will. Wow. <laughs> um, I mean, there was one woman in the program who had the sensation of having pain like to the right of her right ear, like out in space, like outside of her, like, corporeal form yeah <laughs> um yeah. which is like feeling it in her energetic form <laughs> yeah exactly like yeah which i have no idea what that would feel like i yeah. mean it's it's like a phantom limb that's what they compare mm -hmm. it to but yeah. it's you know it's a, it's a body part that's still there but it's it's not actually injured so yeah it's Super weird, yeah. Chronic itch for that. I had to just the 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 itch behavior, if you will, mm. was scratching. So yeah. for months, I just had to to stop scratching any itch on my whole body. Oh my god! And I guess that sounds so painful to me. <laughs> like, and just breathe through it. And yeah. ultimately, that I mean, of all my symptoms, that one went away completely which That's I'm it. so thankful for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically felt like I had jock itch for, or a yeast oh infection gosh. for about yeah. a year and a half. Oh my um, gosh. Every night keeping me awake, yeah. just covering my whole body with gold bond. Like, yeah, and just <laughs> trying not to move. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, I mean, after this program, finally confronting those symptoms, you know, I was able to reduce them. And the same is true for singing and for guitar. You know, yeah. I can sing now. This is two years later. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, last, now, last night I played two gigs in a row. I saw it on Instagram, yeah. So intense. <laughs> um, I've, I've never, I haven't done that uh, since, you know, coming back to performing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was like one gig on like way, way on the, at the tip, north tip of Manhattan and then I had to rush back down like an hour away to this other gig and it you know I was able to do it um so it feels like this huge accomplishment yeah can you this might be a dumb question but it's, how do you know now if a pain is real like what if you're like actually having pain in your arm because you broke it or because of some, you know what I mean? Like how do you, that's a dumb example because obviously you would know that, but, but yeah. How do you know, like, 
can you differentiate that? Or do you think it's actually helped with other types of pain that you have because you're able to kind of get through that? So that's a sort of two questions. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'll, answer I'll answer them separately. I get on, I get uh, on. A yeah, 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 no, of course. And it's not a stupid question at all. It's <laughs> a question that I definitely asked during the program. And I mean, in, in the areas where I have chronic pain, it kind of is hard to differentiate. And until like, well, I have to use other um other sensations to really tell me so like you know if i if i did develop some sort of tendonitis again which i really don't think i will because i stretch now (laughs) every time after i play guitar i'm like the healthiest guitarist and the healthiest (laughs) singer because you know that as a singer there's something called a cool down like you warm up and then you cool down Mm -hmm. and there's exercises for that too to basically avoid any inflammation in the vocal cords so I'm doing all those things uh, yeah, yeah. to avoid any issues. Um, but with other um, other manifestations of pain, basically the rule of thumb is um, if something is less than six months old, it's uh, they call it acute pain, mm. which is a real injury. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, just, it's ridiculous, but in the two years since I've been back from the Mayo Clinic, I've had a whole other slew of injuries. Oh my God. <laughs> um, mostly in my legs. I, ha- I got plantar fasciitis in my left foot, which is like an inflammation of the arch of the foot. Yeah. And I went to physical therapy for eight months for that. And then those exercises gave me a hamstring injury in the other leg. Oh my God. <laughs> so another eight months of PT for that. Yeah. But those symptoms have gone away. Um, so like basically changing my psychology around pain and yeah, just around general bodily sensation, you know, trying to calm down this hypersensitivity mm-hmm. has uh, prevented further chronic injuries or chronic, chronic pain symptoms, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I feel yeah. like I'm, like I have so much more control now, even though, you know, like injuries will come and go, of course, and I still need to address them. But uh, the assumption that the pain will never, never go away is no longer part of my life. Okay. Did you go through any type of like mourning period with your previous life with the life before you had to kind of deal with this stuff or how did you kind of work through that that you had a new way of of living i think most of the morning well i try it's confusing i mean before i went to the mayo clinic like in the months leading up to that trip um those were the definitely the toughest months because um at that point I had truly exhausted what New York could offer me um, in the medical world. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of flying solo. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was always convinced, no matter what doctors told me, I was always convinced that I just hadn't found the answer yet. Yeah. Even, even if they were not the person that could tell me, mm-hmm. somebody could. I had yeah. to I had to maintain 
that thought in the back of my mind yeah. or else I would have just fallen to pieces. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, cause when I would, you know, consider whether these losses could possibly be permanent. It's just like, it's too shattering. I've been doing music since I was like three or four years old. So yeah, there, I, I couldn't I couldn't even consider that possibility. Um, yeah. um, it was a lot of distraction. It was a lot of drinking. It was a lot of, you know, doing whatever I could to ignore those thoughts and ignore my symptoms. Yeah. Yeah, and it's almost like liberating to finally get an answer of what is going on and then having steps that can kind of help you move on. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's what I was searching for, for all those years. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, and, and even more incredible for it to be something that I can do on my own and that doesn't require, you know, three doctor's visits a week, you know, it's incredible. Yeah. They basically, I mean, even, even continuing to go back and see specialists mm. is in its own way, a pain behavior. Mm. Um, if you're not addressing a acute symptom, um, you're reinforcing that that there's a problem with you, that there's something wrong, and that's yeah. just not true anymore. So, yeah, I mean, I I hardly go to the doctor at all anymore. I mean, yeah. physical therapy for my legs, but like that's just that I can I can put that compartmentalize that in the realm of you know normal. Mm -hmm. um, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. So what do you do for your day-to-day -day health? Like even just mental health, like keeping you on the path to, to feeling good every day, even outside of your um, illness. Um, well, I will say just uh, continuing on the subject of my illness, my symptoms come back all the time. Um, they're just before they were, constant now they're intermittent and unpredictable um but uh i just have to do the same use the same techniques breathe through it uh do a lot a lot of self-talk um you know go through the cognitive behavioral therapy activities in my brain and yeah because i mean there have been times in the last two years since the program where I have allowed myself to sort of slip back into that headspace mm -hmm. and then I'll end up having those symptoms for a month versus only a couple hours. Yeah. So if I can get through it, if I can like, you know, handle those few intense hours of symptoms, then I'll be symptom free for months. Which yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. But it's challenging not to be like, oh my God, maybe this time it's real again, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so you really have to push up against that. But besides that, just in my daily life, I think the most important thing for me has just been um, consistency mm. as much as possible. Um, uh, I mean, you know, I have, I have a day job. I'm also a musician. So there's a lot of inconsistency with gigs and all different other types of things that I'm doing for my music career. But um, as much as I can, I'm like a total creature of habit. 
but mm. all about my routine. Um, you know, I, I, <laughs> I actually eat the same breakfast and pretty much the same lunch and dinner every single day. Yeah. Um, just to know, I mean, I have like, while all this stuff was going on, I've developed all these stomach symptoms and those are finally starting to subside too. But like, if I know that I can keep the rest of my body in as tip top shape as possible, then the chronic symptoms are so much less alarming. So how does it feel? I know, um, while you were sick, you, you couldn't do music, right? Just like that much. How does it feel to have it back in your life and to be able to, to do two gigs in one night and things like that? Like it's, what does music mean to you just in general? It's, I mean, it's the best feeling ever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because yeah, I mean, it's not only, you know, at more of a base level, it's this, it's this really intense part of my identity. It's so ingrained in who I am. Um, I mean, unfortunately, or for, I don't know, a lot of my self-worth is wrapped up in music. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, th- there's, there's probably uh, an unhealthiness uh, in that, but, you know, it's the way things are. And um, being able to make music again and you know, show that full, that my full self um, up on stage on recording. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, there there is no better feeling. Um, mm-hmm. And and to be have to have been given back um, this, you know, lifelong vision, this dream uh, of being a full time professional musician. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see that again, you know, yeah. regardless, you know, I mean, there are so many other factors that I, that are out of my control, you know, in, in terms of the profession and opportunities and what works, what falls through. But if I, if I know that I can actually create the product, then mm-hmm. at least there's a chance, you know? Yeah. How do you think, do you think music helps you? too with like your your mental health I'm just thinking about um people that don't even produce music or sing or or play guitar do anything like that a lot of people use music sound therapy things like that Mm -hmm. to help them through their chronic illness or just in normal life like just to keep them happy so how do you think being so you're so intertwined with music how do you think that it it kind of helps you through as well besides just producing well, in in the uh, or while I'm producing music, while I'm writing songs, you know, I'm able to take these complex emotions that I'm feeling and mm. whittle them down to their simplest form. Yeah. I mean, especially as a pop musician, that's important. Yeah, I want people to get it after one listen. I don't yeah. want <laughs> when I mean. I I also make folk music too. Um, mm. I, I did that before I got sick. Um, yeah. And I still do that from time to time. And that stuff can be more, you know, heady and thought provoking and require five to 10 listens to really get all of it. Mm-hmm. But with pop music, it's gotta be right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it forces me to really reckon with my emotions and my thoughts in a new way mm-hmm. um, and create sort of like 
these like the chorus of the song is sort of a mantra that I can use mm-hmm. myself. Um, and you know, I can only hope that other people will uh, hear it and use it for that purpose too. But yeah. uh, ultimately, um, that's that's the that's what it's doing for me. Yeah. How so? If people wanted to hear your music and support you, how would they be able to find you? What's easiest for them? Like if they're not in New York. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I perform under the name Stefan Alexander because mm-hmm. um, the word the, the last name Wiener I think is a little too. Uh, <laughs> um, Are people like? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, a little edgy for pop uh, music, perhaps. Yeah, sure. sure. Um, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> It would differentiate me, but whatever. I made yeah. my decision. <laughs> Alexander is my middle name, so it's you know it's it's still me. I didn't. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Stefan Alexander. Uh, my name is spelled S T E F A N, just because everybody spells it wrong. Oh, like with the ph. <laughs> yeah, the ph, and mm-hmm. then obviously I'm gonna be harder to Google. Um, so yeah, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, all the various platforms. Yeah. Um, and then to find out uh, what I'm uh, doing, what I'm releasing next, Instagram is is the way, uh, which is Stefan Alexander, S-T-E-F-A-N-A-L-X-N-D-R mm-hmm. um, is my handle. So um, yeah, you can find everything there. Yeah, I'll have all of that in the show notes and in the blog post too, so people can- find Oh, wonderful, wonderful. So, yes. It's easier this- to see it spelled out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, perfect. But so is there anything else you would like to leave the listeners with or any, anything that we might've missed that you want to talk about? Well, I think, um, I, I think one of the most important things I learned after all this happened, you know, a lot of people didn't even know what I was going through while it was all going down for those four years. I mean, even coworkers of mine who I worked with for that whole time oh didn't gosh. know that I was having experiencing these symptoms. Mm-hmm. I just sort of gritted and bared it. And my employer at the time altered my job description to fit what I was capable of. Um, Cause I was working for this big company. Um, but I wish that I had been able to, find a way to open up to people Mm. at that time Um, because my support system was pretty small. It was really just my immediate family um, and a couple choice friends, but it could have been a lot bigger because I was so afraid of burdening people or making other people uncomfortable. Um, you know, to forcing people, quote unquote, to experience some fraction of what I was going through mm-hmm. by my telling them about it. Yeah. And it took me going through this whole process and then being more open about it um, after the fact, um, after I had my diagnosis, to realize that people would have wanted to know. Yeah. Uh, and that it could have taken a lot of relationships, a lot of friendships to a deeper level um, and been this tool for me to use. I mean, to, to go to that 
go to that vulnerable place um, with people and and show them my appreciation for their friendship. Yeah. Um, and now I have that, of course, which mm-hmm. is awesome. And it has created these deeper bonds. But I wish that I had been comfortable back then to do that. Yeah. That's a really powerful message and not one that I've talked about much on the podcast yet. And I think that that that's so important. And I could see, I can see it from both angles. Like I can see being in a place of not knowing what's going on and having so many specialists telling you that, you know, nothing's wrong or whatever. And, and it being scary to have to tell people that because um, even with my illness, like I know what it is, but it's still like, sometimes I just, I don't, I don't want any questions about it. Like when I'm not feeling well, I don't, I don't want to have to answer those questions. But at the same time, I totally agree with you. And I think that having that support system is so important, especially when you're kind of feeling not necessarily ignored. Like for me, I felt ignored by my doctors, but I'm not sure if that's how you felt or if it was just like, honestly, that, that people just didn't know what was going on. But, but yeah, I think that it's so important to have some sort of um, place where you can go and people you can talk to, definitely. Mm-hmm. That's a big reason too I wanted to start this podcast in this like community because I also know that sometimes people do reach out for help from their family or their friends and maybe they don't get the type of like um, support that they were hoping for. So I'm- Totally. Yeah. So I'm very hopeful- that be a whole other side of it is that you yeah. find out who you can rely on. Yes, exactly. Which can be crushing at the time because, you know, your expectations might not be met. But yeah. then somebody who was sort of on the periphery yeah. might become way more important because they're willing to go there and they're willing to get into the trench with you and, and like sit with you in your symptoms, which is- yeah pretty remarkable so yeah yeah, like you'll see these whole new sides of people for for better or for worse and Mm -hmm. it's kind of a special superpower yeah yeah it's a place that some people don't ever get to go to or to see Mm -hmm. or to connect with someone on that kind of level so totally Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being on today. And I love this message and I love talking to you about everything. And I will have all of your links and stuff in the show notes and in the, in the blog post, in the Instagram post, everywhere that I post. (laughs) Find you and listen to your music and connect with you. Maybe there's someone out there that is going through the same thing or went through the same thing as you. And I would love for people to reach out, you know, email me, DM me, whatever, just, you know, get in touch. Cause I love, I love talking with people about this stuff. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being on. Thank you.